0: Today, we are wrapping up a a series that we've been in. This is week eight, I believe. And uh, we've been in a series that we've called Head Versus Heart. And uh, this series has been an opportunity to to talk about, explore the challenges that we have when uh, the faith that we're meant to live in, walk in, is uh, is at odds with um, our own thoughts and our own feelings. Uh, walking and living by faith, probably the most difficult part of that aspect of that is the fact that there's something in us, within us, that just does not want to do that. Walking and living by faith is very difficult for our our, our minds and our feelings. I don't feel like walking by faith. I don't, I, I don't always, it doesn't always make sense to me, and I'd rather do what makes sense as opposed to be out there walking on the water like Peter. That's very uncomfortable it makes no sense at all and so uh walking and living by faith there are some challenges to that and a lot of that is just the battleground of of our own minds and so uh this whole kind of series has has been built on the the conversation proverbs 3 5 trust the lord with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding so that dichotomy that that battle that happens within all of us and so today we're going to wrap this up and uh and i like to wrap this series up uh uh, walking through a section of scripture with you that I, I've actually mentioned th- throughout this series. We've, uh, we've made mention of this, these verses, and, and i like to just kind of walk through it uh, today. And uh, this section of scripture, in combination with Romans chapter 12, which we, we talked about a few weeks ago and we'll, we'll refer back to again today, uh, between these two scriptures, these two sections of scripture... Uh, I believe it paints a, a powerful picture of the transformational power of walking and living by faith. It, it paints a powerful picture of, of the transformational significance of this head versus heart conversation. And, uh, and these are two of the clearest uh, uh, scriptures that refer to that and kind of uh, show us what that looks like. And so uh, we're going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, I'm just going to read a few verses we'll talk about, and I'll read a few more. So we'll make our way through uh, the majority of Second Corinthians chapter 3 today. And uh, we're going to start in verse 4 and looking at verses 4 through 6 first. So here we go. Second Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 6. Such confidence we have through Christ uh, toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves... But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Um, I love the opening statement there. Such confidence we have. Such confidence. It's not meaning pride. It's not meaning uh, being puffed up. In fact, Paul makes a direct correlation between confidence and, and being servants of this new covenant. So there is a, a, a humility to this confidence. And I think that's what true confidence looks like. So, but I love that idea, such confidence. Um, that has been something I think that I've craved my whole life, is, is true, authentic confidence. And uh, and that is to say, I, I'm 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 confident in who and what I am, just being myself, and uh, and that's exactly the declaration. Such confidence, it's such a, it's a it's a reality. Such confidence we have in Christ, that is our reality. That is a gift from God, and that reality, He roots it in this this um, uh, this adequacy. That we have. So if, if you are confident, it means that you f- have a sense of adequacy. You don't feel like uh, there's a there's a new saying, a, kind of a new a new idea that was I, I only heard a couple years ago, imposter syndrome. And so uh, imposter syndrome is when you don't feel qualified doing what you do, and you're always living under the fear and uh, the, the, the 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 fear and the, the trepidation that someone's going to discover that you're faking it, that you don't deserve to be where you are, and, uh, and that you're living kind of a lie in terms of, of not being qualified to do what you do. And so there's none of that in Christ and, and because we feel we are adequate. We are made adequate. Now, the adequacy is uh, the Apostle Paul makes sure that we understand where that comes from. He says that the adequacy that we have that is ours is not a product of our own doing we we didn't make ourselves adequate and of course the adequacy that we're talking about is is our adequacy in the eyes of god whose standard is perfection who is he's god and so there's no watered down kind of acceptance of of uh, less than perfect god's demand is standard is perfect and so we are adequate under that demand and if you believe for a second that that is because you have made yourself adequate to be perfect in the eyes of God, uh, we're, we're, we're kidding ourselves. Uh, our adequacy, the fact that we have right standing, perfect right standing with God, is not of our own making. Our, and, and Paul says it here, our adequacy is from God. We were made adequate by God himself. And, and he, he made us adequate. And he's given this gift of confidence so that we could um, serve others through this new covenant, and uh, which is not of the letter, but of the spirit. Now, the Bible is what 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 is being talked about here is something the Bible covers uh, from uh, from the old covenant to the new covenant. This idea of living under a covenant with God. And so the Old Covenant, of course, is the the letter of the law. It is the law of Moses. The New Covenant is a new covenant under the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, under grace from God. And so we are no longer under the letter, which is speaking to the Old Covenant, the law of Moses, where the focus, the emphasis of our entire life was continually trying to measure up to an impossible standard. We're we trying to meet the mark. We're trying to keep the rules, do this, don't do that, so that God will approve of you, and therefore he will, uh, he will show kindness and grace towards you because of what you have done. And so now we no longer live under that, under the crushing weight of that. We actually are living in the freedom that someone else has, has met that standard on our behalf which is the good news of the Gospel. Moving on to verses 7-11, through uh, this is what the, the Apostle Paul says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone came with glory, so the sons of Israel could not look intently in the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? If the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory, because of glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains in glory. The law, which the Apostle Paul calls the ministry of death. uh, It's a dramatic statement, but it is accurate. And so, uh, if anyone wants to hang their hat on a, a moralistic approach towards God, it is described as a ministry of death. It is not a ministry of life. It is not a life-giving ministry. It is not an uplifting ministry. Now, there is not, nothing wrong with, with having some moral sensibilities and a, a, a moral code there's nothing wrong with making sure that we have a personal preference to not do things that we feel like would dishonor God or hurt people. The The problem sets in when we see it as a path to salvation. When we see the law or any attempt to keep the law as uh, our connection with God in our path to righteousness, salvation, everlasting life, Now, what we've done, if you look at it differently, what we've done is said that the steps to salvation, the steps to being uh, in God's good graces is a path that I myself can achieve. So suddenly, we've made salvation or being like God something that we can personally do or manage or fulfill. And so, the law on our best day, if we can keep it. It is a self-salvation project and we have saved ourselves. That's why the, it, the law is called the ministry of death because what it's meant to do, the whole purpose of the law was not to make human beings righteous. It was to show and demonstrate that human beings can never, on their best day, be righteous. The law is meant to bring us to the end of ourselves and, and cause us to realize that we can't get there from here. The Bible says that the law was given that sin might increase, which sounds counterproductive to the way that we, we assume the law is meant to be used and the way that human beings try to leverage the law in our modern culture. I've heard arguments for years and years and years that... Uh, This world would be in a better place if uh, we could put the Ten Commandments back up in schools. Do you remember that argument? Um, Yeah, that's not the answer. That's not the answer at all. In fact, I would say that if you really want to make kids go even further away from where they should be, then throw the law on their shoulders. It pushes us toward... It makes sin increase. It, the first thing that you see in the the delivery of the law is death. Don't touch the mountain that God is delivering the law to and, or you will die. This is, this is not good news. The law is the... The horribly bad news of humanity. And so that's why the Apostle Paul calls it the ministry of death. But he he describes it. It did come with glory, though. The ministry of death did come with glory. Now, uh, that glory faded. And of course, he's using the the imagery of Moses, who, uh, long story short, wanted to see the face of God. He was a mouthpiece of God, had a relationship with God. I think it was a fair question, can I see your face? God said, only a dead man can see my face. No one can see my face and live. And so he says, I tell you what I'll do. I'll pass by you. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock. Put my hand over you. Remove my hand. You can see the back of me. And then that's all you get. So that happened and it left Moses' face transfigured. It glowed. And so uh, Moses then put a veil over his face after that happened. And so, uh, But I, one would believe that Moses wore a veil to, to, to not uh, be obnoxious with a glow-in-the-dark face, but as the Bible describes here, it was so that he could hide behind that because as soon as that happened, the glory started fading. And so there was some self-consciousness to what happened, the effects are wearing off. And so the Bible says here, the Apostle Paul talks about it, is that this glory that came with the law faded. It was temporary. And so you can read this two different ways, and I think both ways are are accurate. But these are the two ways you can kind of interpret that statement. Uh, The law had its place. It, It fulfilled its purpose for the limited time that it was here, and then that, that covenant was replaced by a superior covenant. It is, we're no longer under the law because that covenant was fulfilled. Jesus says, I didn't come to, to, to abolish the law. I didn't come to say you're off the hook. I came to fulfill it. And so He fulfilled that covenant so that it is legally finished and is legally off our shoulders. And then he established with his own death a new covenant. A covenant of grace. And so the the way that people used to relate to God is no longer how we relate to God. So that feeling like God's probably mad at me because I haven't done X, Y, or Z. I haven't read my Bible enough. I haven't prayed lately. Uh, or or god 's mad at me because I did something wrong i 'm probably on the outs with God. That mentality made sense under the law, but now that mentality it doesn 't correlate to how we actually relate to God and how we how we are in communion with god it 's not our right standing that is the the question it 's jesus 's right standing as he is so are you so to, to say, I've done something wrong, am I on the outs of God with God? The question is, is Jesus on the outs with God? No. Then ne- neither are you. The other way you can read this is that the law has limited range. In other words, um, if you keep the law for a moment, there's glory in that. But can you continue to keep that law Forever? No. You can can be great and wonderful for like five seconds. But give your brain a chance to catch up and we can't sustain it. So either way, whether it's speaking to the law having a limited time frame, it was a placeholder, as the Bible describes it, or... Uh, It it has glory for a few minutes. Jesus said, you've never committed adultery. That's wonderful. So there's glory in that. But have you ever lusted in your heart? Have you ever had impure thoughts? Well, the glory just went away because we're all guilty. You've never murdered anyone. There's glory in that. Praise God. But have you ever had anger in your heart because you're equally guilty of murder in the eyes of God? And so there's limited glory to that. Paul also calls, not only does he call this the ministry of death, he calls it the ministry of condemnation. And, and so which means to, to live under the law or try to live abiding by the law, there's always going to be that, that sense of condemnation. It condemns you. The law condemns you. If used properly, the law, the law doesn't applaud you, it condemns you. If you feel like the law is affirming you or applauding you, then you're not reading it right. The law is meant to be it is the ministry of condemnation. that is the purpose of it. And, and Paul says, if that had glory, how much more the ministry of righteousness? Now that's the juxtaposition. Old covenant, the law of, the law of Moses, ministry of condemnation, the new covenant, the law the, the, this life under grace, the ministry of righteousness. How much more does that abound in glory? Super abound in glory. This comparison has a direct connection to this conversation that we've had over the last several weeks, head versus heart. Because the law, our approach to the law, our, our trying to get to God via our own actions and attitudes, that is... It's the law, it's moralism, it's religion. And we like it because it's figureoutable. Not a word. It's manageable. We prefer the ball being in our own, on our, in our own court. And so that was really the demand of the Israelites to, to God, to Moses, was give me, give me the standard so I can manage it on my own. I want to be autonomous. I'm tired of following God around and having to be led by God, not knowing where I'm going, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. I'm tired of trusting someone else. Give me, tell me what to do, and let me go do it. Do it yourself religion is the law of the land, it's the way our world works. Uh, humanity and culture does not like coming up under grace because grace is out of our own control. We have a visceral neg- negative reaction and response to unconditional love and favor from God. And it's not because we think it's a bad idea. It's because it doesn't make any sense to us. It's foolishness. This next chapter, chapter uh, uh, chapter 4, Goes into that. This is all foolishness to the people who, who the lights have not come on yet. We rather a do-it-yourself um, approach towards finding God. In fact, we might even throw. Why, why use the word God? I asked the universe today for good weather. Oh, you did. It's this weird. I'm in the center of the universe, psychological approach towards spirituality. And it's becoming more and more pervasive in our culture. It's no secret. There There's studies that are showing it, and it is universal, that less people are going to church today than they were going ten years ago. And it's not because less people are looking for something outside of themselves to attach themselves to, it's because less people want to attach themselves to something that is bigger than themselves. I'd rather manage my own spirituality as a pop psychology project rather than being grafted into the body of Christ, abiding in the vine as Jesus instructed us to. The ministry of righteousness is completely, flies in the face of moralism and religion and what it means is life by faith. The Bible says Romans 10:10. 10, 10, it's where the heart of person believes. We are saved by grace through faith. The ministry of righteousness is something that we can only experience by grace through faith. trusting in our hearts it is the only way that we experience that so he goes on second corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 through 18 these are the last verses of this chapter therefore having such a hope we use great boldness in our speech and are are not like moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of israel would not look intently at, at the end of what was fading away but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are not like Moses, because Moses needed a veil, and we don't. Now, go back to the verse we opened with. Such confidence we have through Christ. There's no need to behind, hide behind a veil um, because we're free to be confident in who we are. There's no, there's no apologies. There's, there's no insecurity needed. There's no covering up required. Moses hid behind a veil because he he felt inadequate because the glory was fading. We live robed in the glory of God that never fades. This has another kind of direct correlation with the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve they sinned, they fell short, they felt the need to cover up, to veil themselves. Well, how, why did they all of a sudden feel naked? Because they stepped out from the glory that was cloaking them, robing them, that they felt clothed in. And that glory had been removed because they said, we, we're not interested in that. We want to do our own thing. We want to be autonomous. And now they feel like we're lacking. That's exactly the same picture that's painting, painted with the, the story of Moses hiding behind, behind a veil because he felt the glory was fading. We don't live with that variable. We are robed in his righteousness, always. So there's no need to hide behind a veil. We're free to be unapologetically ourselves. Who we are is someone that Jesus himself loves enough to die for. Never apologize for that. Paul continues his metaphor of the veil, but he shifts it. It's a shifting metaphor. He was talking about uh, hiding behind a veil over our face to to cover our face, our appearance. And then he he, kind of transitions to this idea of a veil lying over our heart. And all this correlates with another picture of a veil, which is the veil that separated the presence of God from His people in the Holy of Holies. And there was a veil that, that kept common folk, you and I, the, the, the people that didn't measure up to being perf- perfect from the direct connect connection with God in His presence. And then Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent, the presence of God was unleashed, and now we all have direct access to God Himself. And so all this kind of is a picture being painted. But this veil lying over our hearts is speaking to, again, what we believe. Believing. The ability to believe. To connect with God spiritually. If there's a veil lying over our hearts, how are we trying to establish a connection with something beyond ourselves? Mentally. So if if we can't trust and believe with our hearts, we're leaning on our own understanding, which is there's no access to God through that portal. So before we get into the details of this. As we wrap up. I want to jump forward to. The result of all this. And the result is something. That we're all very interested in. And we may not articulate it this way. But it's something that we all have interest in. Transformation. Becoming more. Advancing. Growing. Changing. We, we all have that desire. There There is. There's a thought of the idealistic version of ourselves that we live with. And then a lot of our lives is spent trying to get there, achieve that, activate that person. This is what Paul says. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, are being actively transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The statement there is we're being transformed into who Jesus is. We're becoming more like Jesus. Which is the ultimate idealistic version of ourselves. So this path to becoming like Jesus, the methodology, the way that we get there, Paul Paul brings this up again in Romans chapter 12. It's a famous scripture. We've all read it. And, and the way that he puts it is, um, he lets us know, if, if we're going to be transformed, if transformation is going to happen, we have to first reject a counterfeit and a, 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 the, the wrong direction, the wrong path. We have to reject the wrong path. And he, he brings that up first because it's the path we typically take in order to become the idealistic version of ourselves. He says, don't Conform. Don't be conformed to this world. Re- resist conformity. So, if you've ever watched uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, and Wile E. Coyote and Ro- Road have a have a contemptuous relationship, and there's these uh, these moments where there's a, a sign that says "Go this way." And Wiley Coyote will turn the arrow and have the roadrunner go the opposite direction so that he runs into a wall that was painted like a tunnel. You guys have seen this one. So that's what the the, this world, our culture, the, the god of this world does is everything he can to point us the opposite direction so that we feel like we're going the right direction. But we're going the opposite direction. You're going the wrong way. And that direction is the direction of conformity, outward compliance, fitting in, um, mimicking or aping what you see. I, I love the way that the, the message translation puts Romans 12. Just real quick, I'll read this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is the message translation. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Instead of that, fix your eyes or your attention on God, and then you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity... God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. If you stand still long enough, you, you will feel the, the constant, continual undertow of this culture that is trying to pull you in. And, and it looks like this. Trends pass by our, our view continually every day and these trends that are passing us by are throwing its hooks in us continually as they pass by demanding compliance and you have to go along with this trend now that could be something as goofy and superficial as hairstyles or hairy styles (laughs) That could be something as silly as uh, the way that we dress. There's a trend to drive a certain type of car. Those things are the, the, the shallow, superficial uh, versions of that. No harm done, right? But then there's some deeper stuff that would be uh, m- more flying in the face of what we attach, uh, attaching our hearts and our lives to God. Demanding that we detach from Christ and what He's about in His priorities and that we attach ourselves to a different set of priorities, a different set of standards, a different methodology and approach towards life We start looking elsewhere for meaning, significance, purpose, and value. There is a a bullying demand that we comply to that. That we bow at the altar of culture. Um, It's becoming more aggressive in my lifetime. It was more subtle 20 years ago. And it's more of a bullying demand. We will force you. That brings a crumbling interior life. It has with it the consequence of losing yourself. The Bible says, What does a prophet man to gain the whole world, to gain the whole world culture, but yet forfeit their own soul? We lose ourselves in it. So suddenly, conformity looks like this. We've all purchased and we're hiding behind the same veil. If you see the correlation, we're all having to cover up with the same veil. We have to look the part, act the part, talk the part, speak the part. We have to play nice. We're hedging our bets on this idea. We hope that majority rules and that this many people, these many well-intentioned people could not possibly all be wrong. But it kind of reminds me of this picture that Jesus shares during the Sermon on the Mount where He talks about there is a, uh, a wide path that is crowded, that is full, that a lot of well-intentioned people are, are, are just moving along. It's a well-worn path that is obvious. And then Jesus describes a better way, the way. And he, he calls it the narrow way. It's less popular. It's less populated. It may be less well-worn, It it is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the people who feel the need to comply. In fact, I would say that the narrow way is filled with rebels, (laughs) with people who believe in something greater than the, the undertow of culture. That narrow way is Jesus, He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And there's nothing about abiding in Christ that is popular, that is trendy. When Justin Timberlake, years and years ago, wrote this song, Bringing Sexy Back, I promise you the furthest thing from his mind was Christianity. Because it's not. There's nothing trendy or sexy about Abiding in Christ. It doesn't fit into trendy little book clubs. It doesn't fit on trendy little t-shirts. In fact, I would say the attempts that we have to make Christianity cool is actually moving in the wrong direction because it's just dishonest. Christianity is the furthest thing from cool. It is the furthest thing from trendy. But it is the way. It is the truth. The Bible says that there's no other way to the Father but through the Son. There's no no workaround. The veil that is laying over our hearts is sort of like a security blanket. Because faith is... Vulnerable. Life by faith is vulnerable. And so we would almost prefer the security blanket of the veil laying over our hearts because I don't like the feeling of being vulnerable and out here on my own having to rely on a God I cannot see and or hold accountable. Sometimes it's difficult to stop and look at ourselves in the mirror and to be honest with what we see. And I think that's interesting because that's exactly the analogy Paul goes with here. He, he talks about beholding in a mirror and, and, and so much of our focus and effort and attention in our life is poured into making what we see in the mirror, making sure that person measures up to whatever standard That we're demanded to adhere to. And what Paul is encouraging here is that we have to fall out of love with that obsession and fall into love with something that is way more sustaining, substantial, the source of salvation, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Turn away from your own reflection and try to meet some impossible standard and turn and look directly to the face of Jesus Christ. That's that's when the, the, the veil is removed from our heart. The Bible says as we turn to Jesus. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, taken away. And then he goes on to say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom, from the bondage and the shackles of conformity and trying to live up to some impossible standard that you will never ever reach. You will never be good enough. You will never be talented enough. You will never have enough money. You will never have enough stuff. You will never meet the standard that allows us to finally breathe and say, there, I've arrived. And that is adhering to the culture, but it's also adhering to religion. You will never be good enough. You will never be smart enough, moral enough, in order to earn your place with God because that place is unearnable. It is only given as a gift of His grace. And that's what Jesus offers is finally a place of freedom where we can live and relax in the beautiful hammock on the beach of it is finished. Put your feet up. Take a deep breath. Jesus has done for you what you could never ever do if you lived on this planet for six million years. Jesus has done for you what you could never do in that time frame. It is finished. You are in perfect right standing with God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And you don't have to put one bit of makeup on or get out of your jammy jam jams to make God love you anymore. Because He loves you more than you will ever know. The prison door is open. And we're free from having to live under the demand of conforming to a world that hates our guts and doesn't care if we live or die, the veil is removed from our hearts, which rem- which means that there is a spiritual connection that is restored. Faith is restored. With the heart, a person believes the veil is removed from our hearts, so that we can trust, so that we can see who God is. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our our faith, we are being transformed. We're no longer bound to this funhouse mirror that is our world, that is our culture. We see clearly who we are, truly are, in Jesus Christ. Beholding as in a mirror, the right mirror. This is who I am, this is what I'm about. The great, uh, the the great influencer, Fred Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers, said that the, the life is deep, life is simple, and what this world offers us is shallow, and it's complicated. Chasing the trends, fitting in, uh, going along with what the world demands is complicated it is a moving target and it is so shallow it is superficial it is vapid it is mindless and it is empty it is a kiddie pool aka a toilet <laughs> the ocean deep nature of the loving grace of god It is infinitely deeper than anything you could ever fathom. Who could ever fathom? Who could ever plumb the depths of who God is? We can't. It is overwhelming, but it is not complicated. It is Christ. It is Jesus. It's singular. You don't even have to memorize a list of things. You don't have to memorize the Ten Commandments. One is good. One sacrifice. One baptism. One body. One Lord. One Savior. It is Christ. And that is it. And as we fix our eyes on Him, we begin to see ourselves in a proper mirror. Oh, that's who I am. That's who, I, that's who I'm created to be. This is what I'm really all about. The perspective this perspective that we're talking about is where our minds are renewed as we begin to see ourselves in the proper light in Christ and it's only in fixing our eyes on Jesus where transformation begins where we start becoming practically what we already are positionally Jesus has made me perfect and right standing i'm righteous and but that has not made its way to the surface yet but it is Jesus has made me calm and peaceful and I have perfect peace now that may not have made its way through the surface yet today but that's my gift and it is he's working it out he's working out that salvation He's making me practically what I already am positionally. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my identity. And now He is working that out into reality. That is all a move of faith. It all works within our belief. It is His grace at work in our trusting and believing Him. That's why it's so important to trust the Lord with all of our heart and not live this life leaning on our own understanding because we will never, we'll never figure this out. And it, it is a recipe for heartbreak and disappointment. It is beyond us. It is beyond what we could ever ask for, hope for, think of, dream of. It is trusting the God of the universe to work, an uh, infinite God to work through this finite person And do miraculous things that only He could do in and through me. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's our firm foundation, that's life.